as South Africans, mass shootings are more often associated with the US and its lenient gun legislation or isolated terrorism attacks in malls or at concerts. But late on Saturday night, in a tavern in Orlando East Soweto, a gunman wielding an AK-47 opened fire at random, shooting 14 patrons dead. Two died later and others are still fighting for their lives in hospital. We've seen an increase in gun violence in the past few years and experts have suggested a couple of theories, including illegal firearms, extortion and an increase in organized crime. Just a few hours before the mass shooting in Soweto, four people were shot dead in a tavern in Pietermaritzburg. Police Minister Becky Trele said they believe these events merely coincided on the same weekend and weren't coordinated attacks. Either way, these tragic events have called into question South Africa's gun laws and why we are seeing an increase in mass shootings. I'm Amy Gibbings, a journalist for News 24's multimedia department, and you're listening to The Story. This week, we'll be talking to News 24 reporter Ntwakai Seleka, who has been on the ground this week covering the shooting at the tavern in Soweto, talking to police and community members. We'll then hear from Dr. Jean Redpath, senior researcher at the Dollar Omar Institute at the University of the Western Cape, who will discuss South Africa's gun laws and what might be the motive behind these attacks. You're listening to The Story. It's a podcast by News24. We'll speak to journalists and experts about the week's biggest story. This is what we saw, heard and uncovered this week. We're now joined by News24 reporter Ntwakai Seleka. Good morning, Ntwakai. Thank you for joining us. Good morning, Amy. Thanks for having me. Ntwakai, could you run us through exactly what happened late on that Saturday evening at the Mdlalose Tavern? It is alleged that a, between three to five men were armed with AK-47 assault rifles and pistols entered the tavern between 2100 hours and 2200 hours and uh, randomly opened fire, killing people who were there at the time. From two witnesses that we spoke to on Sunday, on our arrival on Sunday at the scene, while the steel was still fresh, bodies were still there lying outside the tavern, some were still inside, ready to be collected by pathologist services. One of the witnesses who refused to be identified told News24 that uh, he was among a group of people who were playing pool and uh, the, the, he said the only thing that attracted him to, to the place to play pool is that there is no electricity in the area. Now, Mzalosa Tavern is the only area with electricity in Nomzamo Park. Residents have been staying there for, have been co- actually complained last year to President Sil Ramaphosa when he campaigned for the ANC last year that uh, they don't have electricity. They said the president promised to to ensure that they do have electricity installed back into the area. Now, uh, majority of houses there, they do have electricity connections. Actually, all houses, the RTP house, they have electricity connections, but the supply is not there. They claim that the supply was cut by, by people who target uh, uh, copper cables. Now, the, the person that people you frequent the, the place to charge their cell phones, to watch sport, now, the witness said, going back to the witness, the witness said, as he was playing pool with a group of other men, a gate was opened. And then when the gate was opened, then came a man armed with an AK-47. That person sprayed, sprayed, that's what the word he used, he sprayed us with bullets, meaning he was running from point A to point two. People ran to a corner 
that's when he continued firing at, at them. And then after he had fired, then he was joined by two other men who were armed with a pistol. They also joined and randomly fired at people at close range. Now, this witness claims that he was hiding under the pool table, and that's when his life was spent. But he said he spent nearly an hour below the table. He only went out when the dust was settled. Then I met with the I met with the second witness, whose clothes were bloodied, and uh, he also had blood on his part of his left side of the face and neck. He was so shaken; the man could not even light a cigarette. I, I spoke to him. He was visibly shaken. He said to me, "My brother, I've never seen such a thing." I said, "What happened?" Then he elaborated and explained to me, saying, uh, "He was there accompanying a friend. Unfortunately, his friend has passed on. He's among those." that were killed or maimed on, uh, on on Saturday night. He said they were there drinking. He was there at the little corner. There's a corner. They were seated at the corner with a few other people consuming alcohol while his friend was at the pool table playing pool when he also saw a gunman carrying an AK-47. And that person, he, he corroborated what the first witness said. He said the person asked no questions. He did not even introduce himself. He just opened fire at them. Then fortunately for him, because he was at the corner, the group of people that were coming from the snooker table ran to his direction and they started falling below him because he hid himself under a table. And then next to him lay four bodies. And then the other body, the fifth body, he claimed that fell on top of him. That's how he was uh, with blood blood spilled on his face and clothes. Now, he said that's how he was saved. But now, his worry is that one of the two people who were firing pistols went straight to him, looked him in the eye, and the, way, and the person walked away. He was, worried, he was worried because he thinks that because the person had seen him, maybe but come back to finish him. I don't know if the man had assisted the police with his statement. I don't know about that. But he said to me at the time when we met, he said he's only going home to sleep, but he doesn't think he'll ever find sleep after what he had witnessed. It really is a horrifying, horrifying scene to imagine. I know yesterday and Wednesday you went door to door speaking to community members. What sense did you get from them? What is their response to this incident? The only, the only thing that you get from, which is only vivid, you can see when you're entering a gate, is that they are angry. They want answers and they need help. They are traumatized. The community has never seen such a thing happening in one day or in one hour or in one in, in 30 seconds or 30 minutes. Because from what what people what angered people more is after Minister Peggy Keller said to them, police at the scene collected 137 spent cartridges of AK-47. Now that means that those people came there heavily armed. But now, if you're speaking to residents, residents are very angry. They want answers, firstly, from the police, secondly, from the tavern manager. I remember speaking to Sololo Mjoli. Mjoli is the father to Stembiso and Luyanda. The two have also, are also among the 16 people who died. Luyanda was accompanying his elder brother, Stembiso, to, to play pool at the tavern. That's when they were killed. Now, the father says, he first won answers from the tavern owner. 
And also you want answers from the police. The police must bring those who killed his children, his sons. They must bring those who killed his sons to him and tell him why they killed his children, he said. Lastly, Ntwakai, have you managed to speak to the tavern owner? And what are your thoughts behind what could have been the motive behind this attack? At, at the moment, it would be quite difficult for me to say this was a hit aimed at the tavern owner because if those killers wanted the tavern owner, they could have uh, maybe attacked him in broad daylight. Or they, because we know instances where where if people have, there's a hit on, on an individual, the gunman or hitman won't waste time. They, in South Africa, it's a violent counter. They'll attack the person, uh, their target in broad daylight. The tavern owner was not present. He was in KwaZulu-Natal. It was only a guy who identified himself as the manager who also refused to speak to the mayor. Who was there? And uh, 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 right now, from if you look at it, the way these guys entered, I don't think that uh, they aimed at uh, they were aiming at the tavern owner because they only hit at people or killed people who were consuming like his clients or his customers. I attempted on several times to speak uh, to the tavern owner. Because on Sunday, he was not there. We were told on Monday he was on his way from KZN. I attempted speaking to him on Tuesday. I, I, I approached him and he said to me, he can't speak. Uh, he's waiting for the, the deceased to repair it. And then he will go door to door to their houses, offering their condolences. But he said to me, he's still early. He's also worried for his life, but he refused to be identified. Well, let's hope that we will hear some answers soon. Thank you so much for your time, Twahai. Have a lovely weekend. Thanks very much. And uh, lastly, as usual, the police claim to be investigating the case. We don't know if they'll crack it or they won't crack it. Thank you for having me. We're now joined by Dr. Jean Redpath, senior researcher at the Dalla Omar Institute at the University of the Western Cape. Let's start off with South Africa's gun legislation. Can you tell us a bit about that, especially for those of us who aren't well informed with with exactly what kind of legislation we have around gun ownership? Is it relatively strict or do we have quite a liberal um, gun legislation? So South Africa has a pretty strict gun legislation, which was introduced by Act 60 of 2000, which came into force in around 2004. So we are not at all like some states in America where you can just walk into a shop and and buy a gun. That's just not possible in South Africa at all. Um, There are a number of different categories for which you can get a license. None of those categories permit getting a license for a fully automatic weapon. So that's a weapon where you depress the trigger and it just keeps on shooting. So you cannot get a license for as an as a as an ordinary person, as an ordinary civilian, for a um, fully automatic weapon. To get a license is quite an onerous and long process. You must first go through a competency process, which involves a theoretical exam, as well as a background check, um, where they're looking for things like previous convictions, history of violence, psychological issues, and then there's an actual um, physical exam where you, you you have to show that you can fire the firearm properly and you know how to use it, you know how to take it apart. So that's the competency side. Once you have a competency certificate, you can then go to a shop and you can select a firearm. And then there's another form 
that you need to pull in called SAPS 214, where you indicate your intention to purchase this firearm and that, that you would like to have a license for the firearm. But you have to then pull in. That theoretically is supposed to take 90 days to be processed, um, where SAPS will again do all the checks. In the normal course, this probably takes um, more than five months. So if you wanted to get a gun today, the earliest you'd, you'd probably get it um, is in five months' time, assuming that you pass the comp- – well, firstly, you've got to pass the competency. Secondly, you've got to go through all the checks um, to obtain the license. So our legislation is actually very strict. There are also provisions which uh, permit you to be declared unfit to possess a firearm. So this is if you commit any of the offenses relating to how you're allowed to keep or store or use a firearm, as well as a range of other offenses uh, involving violence or or any other type of of offense. So that's for for individuals, but they aren't the only people who hold firearms. There are also official institutions, which is government, particularly uh, law enforcement agencies and the defense force, and slightly different rules apply to them. And it's there where, where some of the, the holes might come into play. And then, of course, there's also the private security industry um, who, where you get a license for business purposes. So our legislation is by no means easy. It's by no means easy to get your hands on a weapon. And at the moment, I believe we have about the same number of legal and illegal firearms um, circulating in South Africa. So obviously, with the increase in gun violence and mass shootings that we've seen in the Western Cape and Kailicha, there have been a couple of mass shootings this year and elsewhere in the country. It has brought about this conversation around guns and gun legislation and illegal guns. And it seems as though it may not be a gun legislation issue, but rather the fact that we have so many illegal guns circulating in society. I know that the AK-47 that was used, you can't get a license for. So that's obviously an illegal weapon. It seems like illegal weapons are an issue here. So you're correct. So it seems like a fully automatic version of the AK-47 was used, which is which you can't get a license for as an individual. Um, it is possible to get a version of the AK-47, which has been made into one that can only fire on a semi-automatic basis. And that is only possible under specific kinds of license. It's not available for the usual um, self-defense um, that the ordinary person would normally go for. So it's and it's highly likely that that weapon was the, the weapon used in the Glossy Tavern in in Soweto was most likely an illegal weapon. In fact, there are indications that the police in Botswana thought that it might have been stolen from their stores. And so, which brings us to the issue of if it is is illegal we- illegal weapons that are being used, then it's a it's a question of enforcement. It's an, a question of properly um, tracking and finding the illegal weapons rather than changing the legislation. We cannot ignore the context um, in which South Africa is. So the Firearms Control Act was reasonably successful in the first say four or five years of of its existence, um, because we had a reasonably functioning. Um, state and criminal justice system and police service. However, we then entered a period of state capture, um, and we know that some 3,000 weapons were actually stolen. There was an amnesty, and people handed in their weapons, but those weapons were not destroyed by SAPS, and they were correctly sold 
back to the gangsters in the Western Cape when there was a court case and the people were convicted for that. So we, we, we enter a situation where we don't yet have the way we did maybe in the early 2000s, a state that can properly enforce the existing legislation. So there's little point in changing the legislation to become even more strict and more onerous um, in that context. Our efforts should really be focused on fixing the, the, the criminal justice system, on fixing the enforcement if we look at the at the data around the two years of lockdown, it seemed the police really did not report that they enforced the legislation, the, the illegal possession of firearms legislation to the same degree as before and after. In other words, very much fewer firearms were seized. So what we can expect is that uh, uh, sort of a, a backlog of, of more firearms w- were available after that lockdown period than would ordinarily be the case. And we're now seeing them being used. So the offences are starting to catch up. The police are starting to to police illegal possession of firearms to the same degree that they did before lockdown. But it needs to actually go up a couple of levels to make up for that backlog where where that kind of policing was inadequate. What are specific tactics that the police can use to acquire back these illegal weapons? It's about it's about properly doing the visible policing that we that that should be happening. It's about um, searching and seizing uh, suspicious situations. They've just got to do what they did before. <laughs> so, you know, for approximately two years, the kind of policing that was successful in uh, extracting firearms, illegal firearms from the ground, was simply not done. And we saw a proliferation over that time. So the offense of illegal possession of a firearm is called a crime dependent on police action. It requires the police to be out there, to be in the field, to be visible, to be policing, to be present, for them to actually come across an unlicensed weapon and seize it. I mean, it totally makes sense. If they weren't being as active in this two-year COVID pandemic period, we have now just seen this proliferation of gun violence acts. I mean, it actually really does add up and hopefully they can start bringing back the backlog that has been built up. I also wanted to ask what you thought might also be behind these attacks. There's some suspicion that I know, at least in the Western Cape, extortion is behind a lot of these mass shootings. And I guess I think that perhaps the same goes for um, the two tavern shootings over the weekend. What are your thoughts on this? So I think in the Western Cape, there's long been um, extortion sort of syndicates operating. So I think that that is is a possibility. That is a likelihood. Um, it looks like an organised um, scenario. I think the the tavern shooting where the AK-47s were used was qualitatively different from the others. In the others, particular people were targeted. They knew exactly who they were going for and why they were going for, which suggests some sort of organized criminal syndicate, whereas the one in which um, multiple people died and the AK-47s were used, that was random. They weren't targeting particular people, and it seems to be in a, in a category of its own. And that could be, and there are some suggestions that it's part of the destabilization um, linked to the July 2021 riots, people who are seeking to, to undermine South Africa and, and the whole situation. It should also be borne in mind that it's long been the case that taverns and alcohol establishments are a site for murders. Um, so a docket analysis in 2017 by SAP showed that around 10% of all murders 
uh, every year take place in a tavern, which if you apply to the current stats means over 2000 people. So every week you can expect that, um, you know, there would be some people murdered in a tavern. <laughs> um, obviously, the, those were also, many of those murders are qualitatively different. They're not the premeditated type where someone comes in with a gun seeking to shoot a particular person. They often involve brawls and disputes. So, yeah, so that's just to put that in perspective. It does seem that there's an organized criminal element involved. And again, we know that that organized networks, organized criminal networks were probably also bolstered during lockdown where uh, illegal cigarettes and illegal um, alcohol at the time that was illegal were still widely obtainable by people. And there may be debts to pay. There may be all sorts of things um, going on. And extortion is certainly protection rackets have always been um, something that operates throughout the Western Cape, and that may also be the case in other parts of the country. I said in my introduction that as South Africans, when we think of mass shootings, we often associate that with the US and big school shootings that seem to happen there every week. And for the first time, this shooting with the AK-47 at random in a tavern, shooting dead as many as 14 people at on the night, certainly makes me think more of that kind of a mass shooting as you say, almost like maybe a terrorist nature to a destabilizing um, the country. Um, so it's interesting that this one might be slightly different to all the other mass shootings we've been seeing. Yeah, I think a mass shooting, I think, I think you know, talking about one or two people getting shot and calling it a mass shooting might be a bit of an exaggeration, particularly when a mass shooting by definition, well, when, when people talk about it, it's, it's a sort of a random thing. It doesn't sound like, from what is known from the other incidents, that it was random. It, it sounds like particular people were targeted, that it was known that they were there. And they, I heard a witness, in, I think, in the Peter Marysburg Tavern, is that they came in and they shot that person and that person. You know, it was, yes. they knew who, were they, who they were going for. Whereas, as you say, the, the use of the AK-47 in particular I mean, the number of um, cartridges on the ground, I think uh, the minister said there were 130, suggests at least five magazines were used because there are 30 per magazine. You know, it's, it's, this was a lot of bullets. <laughs> and um, apparently it is quite hard to, to hit a target with the AK-47, and that explains why only 15 people were killed. But it doesn't seem like those people in particular were being targeted. It seems like the tavern perhaps was being targeted or the situation or the, play, or the place offered uh, Lamzamo Park is apparently a, a, quite a lawless place. So it offered an opportunity for this sort of thing um, to happen. And it's possible that it could be part of this wider kind of lawlessness that is currently starting to, to seep into our country. And that's very concerning, especially in Gauteng, if you look at the murder figures year on year for the first quarter of this year in Gauteng, it's murders up 45%, and that should be of deep concern um, to, to police in the province. Well, that's a pretty shocking number. I suppose we'll have to wait and see as police investigations continue as to what might be behind this particular shooting. Thank you so much for your time. That was Dr. Jean Redpath, senior researcher at the Dalla Omar Institute at the University of the Western Cape. That's all we have time for this week. I'm Amy Gibbings, producer and host of The Story. Join us next Saturday for a discussion on the week's biggest story.